Before we begin, there are notes over to my left if you wanted to fill in the blanks. But before we read the text, I'm trying to do some review each week to prompt our minds. I know it's early, but two questions. Uh, The first is an easy one. In what city were they first called Christians? Antioch. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Keith. And then secondly, approximately how many years are uh, between when Saul became a Christian until we now come to chapter 13, approximately? 11, 12, yes, yes, 11 or 12 years. So that's helpful. I tried very hard to create a chart, and I spent too much time on it and couldn't get it right. So hopefully next week, it's like what we had in the study on Kings with the date and the passages, and there's obviously debate, but I think it'll be helpful to have in front of us as we move through uh, the life of Paul in the book of Acts and see all of these churches. Well, our text today will be Acts 13, uh, verses 1 <clears throat> through 12. We'll pick it up at 1225 and read our text. 1225, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Well, our title today is simply Preaching at Cyprus, Preaching at Cyprus. And it's interesting, uh, we noted from the previous week that the Lord was establishing his churches, and particularly the church at Antioch. And that church uh, had been scattered excuse me, it was established through those who were scattered because of the persecution. They came to Antioch, and God was saving the Gentiles. And then Jerusalem heard about it, so they sent Barnabas to check it out. And he found that it was amazing, and he uh, either, however the Spirit led him, or he thought of Saul of Tarsus, who was his co-worker for a short season, and he went to get Saul and brought him back to preach and minister to the Gentile believers, the church at Antioch. And they had a ministry, and then we saw this uh, transition as they took their took the, the, the monies, we assume the gold and silver, 
to the brethren in Jerusalem, in Judea, because of the famine. Then we, they're back to Antioch, and we find the church uh, flourishing and continuing on. Verse 1 in our text, now there were at Antioch. And um, again, if you have your, your Bible map, uh, maybe I should get something to hand out, but Antioch is in modern day, uh, the very southeast corner of Turkey, right there in the, that'd be the, the north, um, northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea, Antioch. And that's where this church was established, and there's a description of the church that was there having prophets and teachers. And then it lists out the people that fall under those headings of prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up or who was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and last but not least, Saul of Tarsus. It's interesting that Saul is last here, and it's been Barnabas and Saul, but we're going to see a transition to Saul and Barnabas as the Lord continues to use Saul, uh, also known as Paul, in a great fashion. The leadership uh, of the church, the church was just being established, and there was this transition as, of course, the, the apostles were aging, even Saul, we noted, was at least 10 years as a believer. There were still prophets, but over time, uh, obviously, there, there would be no more apostles and no more prophets, at least prophesying of future events as, as, as uh, the one we just heard about in the previous section who prophesied the famine. Uh, prophets, prophets became more preachers, a forth-telling rather than foretelling. But it gives a list of these men. But as we as we notice in the previous study, we heard about apostles, we heard about elders, now prophets and teachers. And as I'm reading through the book of Acts, we mentioned that Acts illustrates a lot about church history, excuse me, ecclesiology, or how we uh, understand the church, how the church is set up. And again, Acts is primarily descriptive, so we do learn things from the description, but we we heard about these apostles and elders, prophets and teachers, and maybe a passage comes to mind, uh, Ephesians 4 uh, came to my mind, and he himself, that is God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And Paul wrote that to the Ephesian believers, which were going to come to the church at Ephesus sooner than later. And yet we find back here at the very beginning of the New Testament church, we had the church at Jerusalem, now the church at Antioch. And and that church had these apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. They were building up the body of Christ. And the church was... Um, developing, if you will, <clears throat> and obviously there's similarities and there's differences with our church today, but we can learn a lot by illustration and observe what they did so that we know how to, to do church, if you will, but at least thinking about these groups and these leaders in the church, I thought we could learn in the first place that we should beware of exalting church leaders for they are only the Lord's servants given an opportunity. Beware of exalting church leaders that we just had a list of five in, in verse one. Do not exalt them for they are only the Lord's servants given an opportunity. And Paul uses that phrase in 1 Corinthians 3 and we'll hit the church at Corinth in the future as well. When Paul wrote to them, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you, ha- you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And you could say, what is Barnabas? You know, what is a, this pastor? What is John? What is Tom? What is Brett? We're servants given an opportunity. And, and we've been warned in, in many ways to not exalt church leaders. And when you do that, you 
we sin against God, we can be idolaters, we can set those, those leaders up for failure. We set ourselves up for failure if we exalt them too high. Yes, they should be appreciated as those who labor for us and esteemed, yet we cannot exalt them beyond what they are and we are as servants given an opportunity. And that is a, a humble description of the Apostle Paul and I think every uh, pastor, church officer should say the same. We are servants given an opportunity. And may God help us to balance that. And he gives this roll call of these servants. He names them off. They were not insignificant, but they were not exalted beyond where they should be. It was Barnabas who had been a leader at Jerusalem. He was a seasoned uh, uh, Christian uh, in the apostolic band, preaching and teaching, then went up to Antioch and was preaching there. Then secondly, we have this man, Simon of, of Niger, and, and possibly a, a, a black African leader by the name Niger, means dark or, or black, uh, from Africa. And then we have this third man, Lucius of Cyrene from North Africa as well. We've heard about Cyrene before, modern-day Libya. And then the fourth man is Menaean, uh, a man that was brought up with uh, Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch. And uh, fascinating as we get some of these tidbits of information about these variety of men from uh, various backgrounds. Uh, fascinating. And you could look into each of these and you can look up uh, information about them. But they are listed as the prophets and teachers at Antioch, and then finally, number five, and Saul. Uh, to us, it's like, wow, he's, he's at the end of the list. Uh, maybe they put the, we don't know why they're listed that way, but we definitely see an emphasis, Barnabas and Saul, and then soon, Saul and Barnabas. And here Saul is mentioned last. Well, verse two, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. The church and these leaders were ministering to the Lord. They were a team of men along with the body. Uh, They were uh, worshiping the Lord. It's interesting, the word here is leturgeo, leturgeo. And it sounds like liturgy. I'm not saying it correct, I'm sure, but they, they, they were ministering, they were worshiping in, in some fashion. Surely it included prayers and fasting as mentioned. Maybe they were preaching. We don't have the details of how they were ministering to the Lord. It's, it's interesting. It doesn't say they were ministering to the church, which surely they were, but they were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting. So they were focused on the Lord, they were fasting, and in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit said, but as as a general observation, lesson two, before, during, and after any mission work, there must be this deep devotion to the Lord. Before, during, and after any mission work, or even work of the church, there must be a deep devotion to the Lord, not only from the leaders, but from the whole body, And I would take it that it was not only these five men that were ministering to the Lord, but the church at Antioch. They were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting. Maybe they were giving the sermon. We don't have much more information, but they were worshiping the Lord, ministering to the Lord, praying to the Lord, and fasting before the Lord, seeking guidance. We don't have the specifics, but they were devoting themselves to the Lord. And in that context... The Spirit leads them. So I think that's a good reminder that when we gather for worship, we we come here to do many things, but primarily our focus is on the Lord. And as we do that in our personal lives and as the corporate body, we are devoting ourselves to the Lord. That's when God will use us most, if you will. That We are devoted to Him. We are worshiping Him. That's the context of the Spirit sending out Barnabas and Saul. Worship with fasting. Ministering to the Lord with fasting. I don't think we can underestimate the power of prayer 
in this case. I thought of uh, John Patton, the, the missionary to the cannibals in, in New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And I couldn't find the quote, but he was pleading for the people to pray for him. And he said, I'll basically go to the gates of hell if you hold me up by prayer. And so were they praying, Lord, guide us where we should go? We don't know, but they were praying to the Lord. And I think we can definitely learn from that what would be topics for our own prayer meetings. But they were fasting, they were praying, and then the Spirit spoke to them. And we're going to see that the Spirit called the missionaries through the church. And and we'll get there in a moment, but I wanted to note as an aside, did you note the words in verse 2? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. And then he says, to which I have called them. And we talked about that acts, in one sense, are the acts of the Holy Spirit. We learn a lot about the Holy Spirit, but lesson three, we at least learn that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He communicated how, in, in what way we don't know, but he said, set apart for me. He is a person for the work which I have called them. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He's not a force or simply a power. He is powerful, but he is a person. And Acts reveals that even in a passage like this, as he is speaking and guiding about missions, we see the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we think any less of him, we think unbiblically. And so we have to always remind ourselves, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are three persons in one. And even Acts 13, verse 2, illustrates that. Set apart for me, I have called them. I don't think that we often speak of the Spirit in that fashion, but it's clear that He is that person and that type of person that leads the church and leads and prompts missions. Verse 3, their response, then when they, I believe the church, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, that is, Barnabas and Saul, they sent them away. Who did they send? Two two of their best. Two experienced men who had at least a decade of experience in preaching and teaching and ministering and delivering the funds to the needy in Judea. They sent Barnabas and Saul. And I thought of Luke 16.10, He who is faithful in a very little thing will be faithful in much. These were men. They were not novices. They were experienced men and some of the best. And it's it's sobering when we think about missions. Do we send the brand new, motivated, young, excited Christians? Well, if if they're going to be elders, they shouldn't be a novice. They should be experienced and seasoned and men that have this a wisdom from years of walking with God and even ministering to the church. Well, they can, it's interesting. It doesn't say that they just sent them immediately, but after the Spirit said this, they fasted more and they prayed more. And then they laid their hands and sent them away. They were praying, yet they took action. They didn't keep praying and praying, well, we're not sure, we're not sure, we got to pray more. No, they prayed, they fasted, but they took action. Now, based on this verse, chapter 3, excuse me, yeah, verse 3, who sent Barnabas and Saul? Verse 3 only. Who sent them? Verse 3. If you just look at verse 3 by itself, who sent Barnabas and Saul? Pardon? They? Who's they? The church. The church. The church at Antioch sent Barnabas and Saul. So lesson four, in biblical missions, the sending agency is the local church. That's important. Important. In biblical missions, the sending agency, if you will, is the local church. May we do it in this way. And, and by God's grace, we have. And when Tom was our missionary and he was sent 
by a couple churches, Grace Community and ourselves, and, and he was, and he would report to us just as we have today with our missionary in North India. They report to us and we team up with another church or churches, but the biblical mission, the biblical, uh, sending agency is the local church. And I believe when we get away from that, when we have other agencies that are not church-based, we step away. Can good things be done elsewhere? Yes. But who should missionaries report back to? Churches. Definitely, they're not sending themselves. Which which I think we could all observe errors in church history or even moder- the modern day when people are self-called and not sent by anyone. And they have no accountability. May we practice the same thing. Mission, missionaries sent by local churches. Do we pray for this? Yes. We, we pray that, and, and we've seen God do it. Do we keep asking, Lord, and even a small church, even in Acts, we find small churches sending. And it's a sobering prayer request to consider. Does God want me and my family, my wife, Am I called for this? Or am I too comfortable where I'm at? Are we even open to being sent by the Spirit of God, by the Church of God? Again, you can look up uh, that, that chapter in Piper's book on John Patton. It was, it was, uh, it stirred our hearts. Uh, the men who read it, I highly recommend it. You can listen to his lecture on, uh, John Piper's lecture on John Patton to the cannibals and um, he was willing to go, the, the, the Scottish preacher, the seasoned man of God who went and, and suffered great loss personally um, for another topic. Verse 4. So the church had sent them, verse 3. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. According to verse 4, who sent Paul and Barnabas? Verse 4, the Holy Spirit. So verse 3, it says the church at Antioch sent Barnabas and Saul. Verse 4 says the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul. It's both. The Spirit called them through the church. And I think that's critical that we, we make that note. So we could say in biblical missions, the sender is the Holy Spirit. So it's the parallel. It's it's not an either or. It's the Spirit's work in preparing and calling and sending men through the local church. Well, they are sending them to Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Yes, Tom. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yes, great point that even the apostles needed the church to direct them. And of course, we'll see later in our study that even the apostles, i.e. Peter, needed to be rebuked. And later, even Barnabas was carried away in error, so the apostles were not faultless, and they had to report, as well as, that's why we need a plurality of elders, and that's why we need the whole church working together. Great, great observation. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. So they're going to Cyprus. It doesn't say that the Spirit told them to go to Cyprus. We don't know why, but we do know that, do you remember who was born in Cyprus? One of the guys right here? I know, it's a lot. It's a lot to remember. Barnabas, he was born in Cyprus. Random, ironic, or purposeful? We don't know, but at least he was born there. And 
11, uh, Acts 11.19 tells us that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose with Stephen, they not only went to Antioch, but they went to Cyprus. So there, there had already been some work in Cyprus, and maybe those in Cyprus told their friends who went to Antioch what had happened, or maybe they came themselves. It's, it was unclear to me, was it the same people that went to these places, or some went to Cyprus, some went to Antioch? Nonetheless, they shared information, and they gave some type of report. Hey, the synagogues are ready to receive the gospel in Cyprus. So, again, reading between the lines, but there was some work in Cyprus. Now, if you look at your map, uh, you can see Antioch, and they they travel down to this uh, port city um, of Seleucia, which is about uh, 16 miles away from Antioch, about two days at least of, of walking, traveling. So they go from Antioch to Seleucia, and then they get on a boat, and they travel 150 miles. So I, I calculate at least probably a week. You know, they're sailing over. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes, um, you know, We'll see many challenges on the water, but they, they sail over to Cyprus. And then verse 5, they reached the uh, city of Salamis. And you can see that on your map, which is the eastern port city of Cyprus. They reached Salamis. And immediately, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And that's where those people had went before that preached in the synagogues, gogs, plural, there were several of the Jews, they preached there, and they also had this man, John, as their helper. Barnabas and Saul had already proclaimed the gospel elsewhere. Uh, Saul had preached at Damascus, maybe when he went down to Arabia, he preached, he preached at Jerusalem, he preached uh, in Syria, uh, Cilicia, Tarsus, Antioch. He had a lot of experience, and that's why I wanted to bring the chart today, that we have the first, second, and third missionary journeys, but Barnabas and Saul had already been preaching in different cities. And I think it, it could be a little misleading that this is the first, because our Bible says, mine has it, first missionary journey. Well, not really. Not really. And you know, it's not wrong, uh, per se, but maybe the major, but there were other... Uh, journeys and, and preaching opportunities that they had in Damascus, Arabia, Jerusalem, Syria, Cilicia, Tarsus, Antioch, and now they're on the island of Cyprus. And what were they doing? People do a lot of things in the name of missions. They're not necessarily bad things. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do them, but Lesson five, biblical missions is primarily teaching and preaching the word of God. Biblical missions are primarily teaching and preaching the word of God. Now, we just saw in the previous study, part of, you could say, was it missions? They took this collection and they went to deliver money to the needy believers in Judea. So there's obviously other things that God's people do. But if you look through the book of Acts and through all the epistles, the emphasis on the church and growing the church through missions is the teaching and preaching of the word. And again, if we miss this, we can misunderstand what is a missionary, which really isn't a word that's even in the Bible per se, but the practice of sending people out to preach and they have a message, they have some something to take, it is the Word of God. And um, that's the type of missions we want. We want men to go and preach the Word. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the history of Acts is the history of preaching. And we're getting ready to hear the first recorded a sermon of Saul. And it's amazing. And And that's what Jesus and the apostles did. They went around teaching and preaching. So without that, there's really no biblical uh, missions or ministry. And without that, there'll be no church and no missions at all. And I think that's a critical. And again, not that we can't do other things. We may uh, have an outreach uh, and have a, a 
teach young kids to play soccer and, and, and give them the gospel as we do it. I'm not saying that's wrong. But if that's our missions, then we're falling below the example of the apostles and the emphasis of biblical missions is primarily preaching and teaching the word of God. Then it adds, not only were they proclaiming the word of God in these synagogues, but they also had John Mark as their helper. And we noted this previously, that the church always needs helpers. And it's, it's glorious. We may think, well, I'm not, a, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon, but we can all, by the grace of God, be helpers. There's always things that need done. Even when Ananias and Sapphira were killed by the Holy Spirit, there were young men who came and took the bodies away. And even Barnabas and Saul enlisted the help of John Mark. And maybe there were others we don't know. And throughout, and, and I'll have on the chart, the amount of people. And if you have, you can have a book on the people that were with Paul. He always enlisted helpers and other people, men and women, to advance the kingdom. But here, specifically, we hear about John Mark. And by the way, uh, it's interesting Paul and John Mark will return to Cyprus four years later. So maybe there are churches that are raised up, Acts 15.39. The two of them come back later. Were they just returning to sea? We don't know, but they will return in a few years. Now, they were preaching in these synagogues in verse 6 when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. They found a magician or sorcerer a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, or I like the Holman, God's message. Very interesting. Now, they had traveled across this island. You can see it on your map. The, the island itself is about 100 miles long. Uh, it's, it's not small. Uh, maybe you've been to Maui, and it's just a few miles wide. This island is a hundred, it's a very long uh, island, and um, they went, they had landed at the, the east coast port, and they went all the way to the other side of the island. Did they go straight through the land or take boats? We don't know. But they ended up over at Paphos, the western port. Now, it was, it was similar to Salamis, but it was much bigger. And it was the capital city of the province, had had numerous temples. And I didn't note it, but uh, Salamis had te- the temple of Zeus was there. And you can look online. There's nothing there today except ruins, but there still exists some amazing ruins. I, I want to go to, uh, maybe we need a, a, a mission trip to Cyprus to do some historical research. Um, but there's more. That there was not only these temples here at uh, Paphos, there was a temple to Aphrodite. There was a theater. The, the Romans would set up these cities and they always had a theater, an amphitheater, a gymnasium. It's funny, and I looked it up. They actually had ball games. There was one in Tarsus, remember, as well. So at Salamis, they had their gymnasium. At Paphos, they had their gymnasium. They had baths. But guess what they had at Paphos? A mint What's a mint? They, they, they minted coins. You can go online and look up coins that were minted at Paphos. Yes. And actually, Paphos was an ancient city, almost, I think, 1000 BC. It's fascinating, the history of these cities that Paul went to and Barnabas. But they were in this city, very advanced, cosmopolitan, Roman and and also other influences and you can just imagine the it was it was a lot of hubbub a lot of action going on and they went there and they were preaching and here's this character it's amazing what the bible tells us and i'm not sure to me why they translated it magician i think most of us when we hear magician we think of someone you know pulling a rabbit out of their hat and magic tricks I think the Holman Christian Standard has sorcerer. You know, that, that gives a little more uh, information, but also called a Jewish false prophet. 
um, one author said that called him an astrologer, a, a man who would use incantations to influence the powers above to solve problems and help people and guide them. So all of those things combined. So, you know, it's not like just a jokester you see at the, at the fair, you know, twisting balloons and so forth. This man was most likely uh, very, um, well, he, he's a son of the devil. He, he, was, he was following Satan. He was following uh, false religions uh, as far as he could go. Maybe he was the astrologer for this man, Sergius Paulus, who, who was like the governor of the area some type of spiritual advisor, if you will. But he was a Jewish false prophet. Lesson six, beware of false prophets and false teachers. It's here right at the beginning of the church, but all through the New Testament we're going to hear, and we heard Jesus say, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are what? Ravenous wolves. And he said, you'll know them by their fruits. What is a false prophet? Someone who to prophesies falsehoods, whether of what's coming or what is. And, and clearly there are men who oppose the truth. And that has not ceased. There are false prophets who oppose the truth. They may not look quite like this. I think one of them that we've observed over history, not as famous right now, but maybe 20 years ago, I would have said, I would have put someone like Oprah Winfrey in this category, a, a false prophetess who was leading America and telling all sorts of falsehoods, half Christian maybe and half false in the other way. People that mix in religion and who, who, who deceive. And there's many preachers and, and cults who have these false prophets who will mislead and, and, uh, are serious. And Jesus told the disciples, and we learn from the ministry of the apostles and the missionaries, beware of false prophets and false teachers. There's nothing new under the sun. They've been around from the beginning. John said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are still many false prophets and false preachers. And the apostles were not afraid to name names. They do it over and over. And you can look that up in the epistles. Beware. There are still false prophets today. They write books. They have seminars. They are all over the place. And sometimes they creep into the church. And our church over the years, there were false teachings that were trying to creep in. And we had to say no. That's wrong. That's false. It's not ungracious for pastors or fellow Christians to say, that's not true. That's wrong. So we have to beware. And that's why we have to know the original so we can spy counterfeits. Beware. So here's this man, this false prophet, yet he's with this other man, a man of intelligence, a leading maybe governor of the area or mayor, whatever exactly he was, the, the pro-council, um, he was there and it says that he wanted to hear the word of God. Sergius. He wanted to hear the word of God despite what his advisor was telling him. But verse 8, Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them. He didn't want to hear the word of God preached and he was seeking to turn the proconsul, the Sergius Paulus, away from the faith. He was already getting attracted to the faith. And hold on to that thought for a moment. This Bar Jesus was also known as Elymas. As the word of God is and was preached, there was and will be opposition. False teachers do not like the word of God preached. They want it all pared down to everybody's happy and nice and don't offend anyone. No. When the word of God is preached, people will be offended. When you say Jesus is the only way to salvation, people get offended. And Saul, well, hold on a second. Yes, 
this Elemist is trying to turn away the man, the, this other man from the faith. He was devilish. Lesson seven, beware again, there are some who want to turn you away from the faith. It's not old, it's not old news that people were trying to turn others away from the faith. It still happens in 2023 that people want to turn you and I away from the faith. The devil and his minions say, well, you don't really need to believe in God. Is he really true? Look what's happening to all your friends. They're dying. They have tragedies. He, how can God be kind? How can God really save people? And, and the world says it all the time. And we live in a state that people could care less about the gospel, could care less about the church of Jesus Christ, but care a lot about other things. There's a lot to pull us away. And there are still today people who would turn us away from the faith. So we have to beware and be alert. Elemis was trying to turn Sergius away from the faith. Faith in God and or faith in Jesus. Verse 9, Saul spied it out, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him. He was on fire. Uh, and, and you can ask some questions why. Uh, well, well, first, before we get to that, it's the first use of Paul. He's been called Saul as a Christian, as a believer. There's no evidence that Paul was his name as a Christian. He's been called Saul right when he was sent out by the church. He was still Saul. But he has his Roman name to most likely better connect with the Gentiles, which was his primary mission. So Saul, who was also called Paul, and we heard the same thing, John, who was also called Mark, Simeon, who was also um, um, called something, sorry, I, my notes blurred out here in 13.1. Pardon? Niger, yes, thank you. <laughs> the ink ran out on the page. The, the people had other names. They were also known as uh, what, whatever their name was. But Paul was on fire against this man and filled with the Spirit. In verse 10 it says, You are full of all deceit. And fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked or pervert the straight ways of the Lord? This is the spirit-led apostle condemning this Jewish false prophet sorcerer for turning others away from the faith in Jesus. Lesson 8, faithful shepherds guard the flock against false teachers. You might think, wow, that wasn't very kind, Brett, or John, or, or Tom. Well, hopefully we're kind, but we speak the truth, and we say, that's wrong. Don't read that. Don't listen to that. If you're reading that, be careful. It's not unloving of us to say that. We care about you, and we're saying, be careful. That book has errors, and it's our responsibility as those who give account to plead, please be careful as you go there, as you're with that person, as you read this, or be, be watchful of that so-called ministry. It's dangerous. And not that we would attempt to do what Paul does here, but his heart and his concern is that Jesus would be honored as the only way of salvation, and he shut down Elymas, the sorcerer. He rebuked him with all these strong words that he was a fake, a fraud of the devil, an enemy of God, perverting the ways of God. It's serious business to mess with the truth of Jesus, the truth of God. You can read Acts 20, 28, and 29. Paul told the Ephesian elders, be on guard for yourselves. You're the overseers. You're to shepherd the church because Savage wolves are going to come in and attack and rip up the church. Verse 11, Paul said that, and then, Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately, which Luke likes to use that word, and immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. He was blinded. He, he was cursed for a season, for a time with blindness. Maybe that he would have a chance to repent. Does that remind you of anyone else? Yeah. 
you can't help but miss the irony. The man himself who was breathing out threats against Jesus and the apostles was blinded. Now here's the apostle who had that happen to him. Now it doesn't say that Elymas was saved at all. Maybe he was. We don't know. But at least at this point he was judged by God the Spirit and he was blinded for a season. We, we, we hoped to meet him in heaven and he was saved as Saul was on the road to Damascus. But it doesn't tell us that. But it does tell us in verse 12, then the proconsul, this Sergius Paulus, believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed or astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Lesson 9. Even when attacked, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 This man, it it seems to me that he started to believe earlier because uh, Elymas was trying to turn him away from the faith. And and it says that he believed when he saw what happened. He uh, He was astounded. But it's interesting. Being amazed at the blindness of Elymas? No being amazed at the teaching of the Lord, which is interesting. Um, and, and we can think about faith, but at least this man, it seems he was converted. He believed the truth about Jesus. Uh, it says he believed. And we don't have any more that I know of. There may be some potential parallels. It's hard to know sometimes later on if it's the same guy they're speaking about. But it seems that this Sergius Paulus, again, the names were common. Paul, uh, his Roman, this Roman, excuse me, came to the faith and he saw the judgment. He believed. He was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. What profound stories. And we're only given these snippets, that whole ministry on the island for weeks or longer. And this is the story we have. That's what the Spirit of God gives us. And it's, it's interesting the, what, what is included. Uh, in in the scripture and what God provides for us. Well, in review and then questions and comments, uh, our lessons were these. Beware of exalting church leaders, for they are only the Lord's servants given an opportunity. You don't have to look far to see men so exalted, so exalted, even in good churches. May God keep us all humble. Lesson two, before, during, and after any mission work, there must be a deep devotion to the Lord. They were worshiping and fasting, and that's when God said, set apart these men. And then they prayed again and fasted again and then sent him out. May we do the same. Lesson three, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. He said, do this for me. I, he is a person. He's the primary sender. And maybe I should have put that first, but lesson four was in biblical missions, the sending agency is the local church. And we didn't list it, but in biblical missions, the sending agent is the Holy Spirit. We said that. We didn't have an official lesson. I hope there's many more that you have. Lesson five, biblical missions is primarily teaching and preaching the word of God. That's why in the Reformation, Sola Scriptura was so significant because they had to preach the Bible, not the Bible plus tradition. And every great revival begins with the recovery of the Bible and teaching and preaching it. That's what we need. Lesson six, beware of false prophets and false teachers. They're still around. Guard yourself. Be careful. Yes, read widely, but read with discrimination. If you go to a conference, be careful and be alert. Those people are not uh, your, your pastors. Hopefully, our primary growth uh, before God, our primary place we grow, yes, through the our own Bible study and, and study of the Word, but if our primary uh, shepherds are people that don't even know us, we're not um, we're not on the right path. I'm getting astray there. Lesson seven. Beware, there are some who want to turn you away from the faith. Be on guard. There are people, and definitely the devil, who wants to turn us away from the faith. 
no matter how long we've been a Christian. And we've seen it happen where people that were professing Christians fall away because they got turned away to some falsehood. Lesson 8, faithful shepherds guard the flock against those false teachers. If you move, young people, if you move away, you get married, you go to another church, if that church never warns against false teachers, you better check, is it really a biblical church? Biblical teaching and preaching warns against falsehoods. Lesson nine, even when attacked, even when this sorcerer is attacking the truth, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Praise God, it seems that Sergius was born from above, and who knows what impact he had on the island of Cyprus, which, by the way, is Christian primarily in name, but orthodox today. Um, again, you can look at Operation World and see some of these places, what they are today. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Any comments or questions before we conclude with prayer? The title was Preaching at Cyprus. The Preaching at Cyprus. Comments or questions? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray with Jesus, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Whether in Genesis, whether in Acts, whether in Hebrews, whether in the Gospels. Lord, we thank you for your book. Thank you for the full revelation that we don't need prophets now because we have your word in Scripture aided. 66 books. Lord God, may you, Holy Spirit, make Acts and the life of Paul as we see your work in extending the new covenant in the hearts of people, establishing churches at Jerusalem, at Antioch, and we trust in Cyprus. The mission was there. This man, Sergius, it seems, was saved. He believed. Lord God, may we learn uh, better by the apostles' examples how to to do missions and help us to rightly divide your word that we wouldn't abuse descriptive material. Uh, Lord, correct any, any errors that I would have made here. May we be accurate handling your word. Thank you uh, for the encouragements. Thank you for the warnings. Lord, deliver us from false prophets. Lord, keep our church pure. Father, it is sobering as we've seen so many so-called churches even turn into as it were, synagogues of Satan. We know the devil continues to attack. It's nothing new under the sun. Lord God, protect us, and may we think clearly about all of these things. We thank you for your church. We thank you for Pilgrim Bible Church, and may you use us, and may the gospel be extended here in Silicon in our state, and maybe, if you're willing, even around the world, in India, Lord, maybe in other places that you would send one of us and our families, suit us, call us, use us for your kingdom work, that Jesus Christ would be exalted. We thank you in his name. Amen.